I'm in the bowels of a kid. Recorded in front of a live studio audience. Coming to you dead in front of a dead studio audience. 31 days, 31 podcasts. It's Helpful Snowman Pottoween 2023. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Helpful Snowman Pottoween 2023 episode, whatever the hell this is. Uh, today, we have a little film from Nickelodeon called Crybaby Lane which has some interesting backstory and stuff, but I want to start off by playing you the introduction because uh, I found its intensity to be a little high, uh, a little higher than I expected. It all happened some time ago. was a farmer whose wife gave birth to twins. But something was terribly wrong. Due to a rare embryonic mutation, the infants joined as one flesh and came into this world freaks. And the farmer hid them away. As they grew, it became clear that one was good and the other was evil. Now it happened that one of the twins fell ill and because they shared the same liver, the illness quickly spread and they both perished. Not wanting to expose his shame, the farmer decided to unjoin the bodies and bury only the good son in the town cemetery. He buried the evil son in a fallow field at the end of an old dirt road called Cry Baby Lane. Because legend has it, anyone caught out there at night on that desolate road can hear the cries of the evil child calling for vengeance from beyond the grave. Okay, so that's like the opening two minutes of Crybaby Lane. <laughs> born as one flesh. How fucking terrifying is that? Born, they were born as one flesh. Could you think, I can't think of a worse way to say that. I mean, better slash worse way to say that they were born in one flesh and then they died and then the dad sawed them in half to bury them separately and it show it shows a saw and it has a saw sound effect i don't know how clear it'll be on the recording here but it's like it's fucked up i mean it's a lot this movie starts as a lot um Overall, I think the movie, it's not as intense as the rest of this, right? I mean, 
okay, first I just, there's, there's a lot of backstory to this movie. And I think the backstory is the more interesting part of the movie. So we'll just cover, I just wanted to say first that it's not that intense, but there could be a reason for that. Now, supposedly this movie was going to be like a big budget movie, like $10 million or something. And then they were like, eh, how about if you made it instead for (laughs) $800,000? So I'm sure whoever made it was like, God damn it. I mean, that's a pretty significant cut. Like, you can't even give me $1 million, by the way. I'd be like, you can't cut 90%. You have to cut like 92%. That's just like, feels like an extra fuck you, doesn't it? Um... Also, originally, they want... So, Frank Langella's in this movie. Uh, he plays a fairly significant role. Um, but it's, it's funny. It's one of those roles that you're like, oh, okay, so he's not, like, in the, you know, most of the climax and stuff where you're like, that involves a lot of running around and shit. He's mostly, like, in an office. <laughs> originally, I guess they wanted Tom Waits to play that role. But then, supposedly, the executive team was like, no, no, let's get somebody who can like bring some attention to this. So we'll get Frank Langella, which I thought was really strange. So I was like, do kids like kids? Obviously don't give a shit about Frank Langella a, but B I was like, I mean, is a parent going to watch this? But apparently they shouldn't have wanted parents to watch this because, okay, here's the story. Uh, this was kind of lost media for about 10 years, right? And uh, it, sh- it aired one time and then didn't air again until 2011. So it was in 2000 and then the next one was it surfaced in 2011. So there are two versions of the story. The sort of internet version is that uh, a bunch of parents wrote in, said it was too scary, it was a little too dark and whatever, which... If you'd watch like the first two or three minutes, I'd be like, eh, yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, uh, they didn't air it again. And then what happened in 2011 is someone on Reddit had a bootleg VHS recorded from the original premiere. Um, And so she released it on some file sharing thing and on YouTube and stuff and a bunch of views and all this stuff. And so, and that, it kind of did such a big business that Nick decided to re-air the film on Halloween 2011 um, where they said in the advertising for it it was like Nickelodeon's dark secret and so secret it was banned from TV or whatever but the story from Nickelodeon the official story is they forgot about it so Nickelodeon's version of the tale is they just forgot you know what I mean? They were just like, oh, fuck. Yeah, we forgot. It's like that uh, movie Medicine Man where Sean Connery cured cancer and then forgot how he did it. Which I was like, I'm, I'm highly skeptical of this because, you know, having watched a few Nickelodeon things for this purpose, for this pot of ween this year, I, it's become pretty obvious to me that Nickelodeon, although I wouldn't say they cheaped out and I think they did a good job, was not above recycling content. And if they made a Halloween movie, even if though it was $800,000 instead of $10 million, that's not something I can see them just sort of tossing aside. You know what I mean? That seems like something that they would remember they did. <laughs> I, 
I feel like it would at minimum be running every Halloween or maybe they'd be like, you know, maybe we should run, run this, like do a Halloween in the summer or something like that. Halloween in July. Whatever. It seems unlikely to me. It seems unlikely that they would make a thing that everybody just forgot about. I mean, I, I invented a conspiracy theory for it, which was maybe this was intentional. Like maybe uh, Nickelodeon had this idea of like, let's make this lost media and then we'll drum up interest in it, you know, and then it'll make it desirable and then we'll bring it back out later. We'll kind of create our own time capsule slash uh, rumor thing. Now, there is a, a creepypasta about this um, that was written in, like, 2013, I think, was the earliest date. Um, so I'm just going to read this to you, and then we can, t- we can discuss it together, okay? Hold your questions <laughs> till the end, please. In 1999, I was 22, and I had just graduated from Emerson University in downtown Boston, majoring in screenwriting, specifically in cartoons and children's programming. My debt was pretty bad, so when Nickelodeon Studios offered me an internship at the studio in California, I accepted immediately. I jumped at the chance to get away from a dead-end job at Benjamin Franklin Tour Guide. I don't know what the hell that is. Many of you ask to see Crybaby Lane, but if you want to see the original Crybaby Lane, you never will, even if Nickelodeon somehow consents to releasing it to you. You won't be seeing what was shown on TV, and you sure as fuck won't be seeing the original that Lauer made. I don't even think Nickelodeon has the original cut of the movie anymore, and if they do, it's in only backup copies. If the backup copies exist, they must be locked away in some vault, along with all the deleted episodes of Ren and Stimpy and the never-before-mentioned episodes of SpongeBob SquarePants. I'm pretty sure the director, Peter Lauer, has the original copy, and it's probably on his mantle next to his snuff films, that creepy-ass fuck. Anyway, I was hired in 1999, and immediately I was put on a creative production team for the movie Crybaby Lane. It would be almost a year before the movie was due to be broadcast. All in all, it was a pretty low-effort kind of thing. There were only four people on the creative team, and I was the only steady one. Lauer would replace them on a whim. He said it was to keep fresh. I thought it was because he was hiding something, and I was right. We had a little over a year to make a movie for TV. Not just to write it and cast it, but to film it and get it edited. Lauer didn't work fast at all. After the first three weeks, we only had ideas for the first 15 minutes of an 85-minute movie. Lauer, even at this point, was a weirdo. He was tall and lanky, and he carried himself awkwardly. He stuttered when he talked, and sometimes, when you were hunched over a piece of paper during those endless brainstorming sessions, you'd look up and you'd catch him staring at you, smiling. Slender man of Nickelodeon Studios. He'd look away when you caught his eye, and I guess that was the creepiest part. He always looked like he had something to hide. The brainstorm sessions at first were all right. We got the premise of it down pat. Two brothers unleash a demon, and they get into mischief trying to get everything back to normal. Not exactly daytime Emmy stuff, but you know, it was an all right start. I thought the movie should be goofy and spooky, kind of like a Courage the Cowardly Dog sort of deal. However, from the very beginning, Lauer made it clear that he wanted the film to be as scary as possible. He didn't want it to be treat thrills with a wholesome ending. He wanted to push it farther than Are You Afraid of the Dark ever dreamed of, and I guess he did. It was about three weeks into production when I first noticed something. Lauer had absolute power of persuasion over everyone else in the creative production team. No one fought him, and by the third week, he was already suggesting some morbid things. 
I remember he said he wanted the little brother to die halfway through the movie getting hit with a dump truck. That would be great. I immediately shot it down. I was the only one who said anything, and it stayed that way until I left the studio entirely and never came back. At first, cannibalism and other fucked up shit was kept to jokes and tasteless comments, but as time went on, it became more and more overt. I'd give him an idea, which most of the time he would end up using, like, how about the movie starts with a morbid undertaker who reads them stories, to which he'd reply, yeah, and then he can cut them up into little pieces and force-feed them to his dog. He made those jokes a few times in the early stages. Then he got serious. He'd stand up like he was Jesus or something, clear his throat loudly, and proclaim his idea. I'd be the only one to shoot it down every fucking time. One day, near the end of our brainstorming sessions, Lauer cleared his voice and stood up. We all fell silent and looked at him, like we normally would. He stood up and said, Gentlemen and females, I have an idea. I remember what he did. He paused and looked right at me as he said, The story will revolve around the legend of a pair of Siamese twins. Have you ever heard of the Donner Party? Everyone nodded except for me. I didn't like where the conversation was going. They ate themselves when it got cold. They ate each other. Everyone nodded. I closed my eyes. What would Siamese twins do if they had nothing to eat? Would one wait until the other twin dies, then consume her own sister's flesh? Would they claw out each other's eyes until one of them died, then dine upon them like a vulture tearing at the skin of a dead deer? I do not know. It is interesting indeed. I didn't know what the fuck I was hearing. I opened my eyes and looked around the room. No one was fucking moving. Everyone's eyes were on Lauer except for mine, and when I looked at him, he was still staring at me. Children like violence. They revel in it. Children like to be scared. So we'll scare them, won't we, Johnny? He leaned over the table, getting pretty damn close to my face. His breath smelt like decaying shit. I stared back at him. I think you're fucked up, to be honest. He smiled, then backed away. Oh, I'm fucked up, all right. But you have to be fucked up to survive in this cutthroat world. His grin expanded. Literally, right now I'm going to show you some pictures that will spark some of your imaginations. He got up and locked the door from the inside. I stood up and said, what the fuck are you doing? Let's not make any errors in judgment, Jonathan. Sit down. No, sit. For some reason, I did. Lauer pulled out one of those shitty overhead projectors. He turned on the switch and he speak shouted in an unusually high and semi-frantic voice. This is the fucking muse we need to continue with this pro-fucking-duction. This is what every child should see. His eyes bulged in his head. <laughs> he put the image down on the glass surface of the overhead. It was silent. The image was in black and white, but it was grainy. I could vaguely make out a boy lying on a brick floor, his arms cut off and his bloody little nub black dots. The only thing that was clear was his face. He was bleeding from the mouth. Lauer threw the paper off the overhead, slamming down another one. It was a zoomed-in shot of the boy's face. It was in color. The blood trickled from his open mouth onto the brick floor, his eyes shut, grimy blood underneath his eyebrows and eyelashes. Then his eyes opened, and I screamed. No one else in the fucking room did, and it died in infancy, the shrillness ringing in the air. The pupils were completely black. The rest of the eye was normal. The longer I stared, the more the eyes opened, widening and widening until it looked like the skin above his eyebrows and eye sockets was going to rip in half. Then they started to, okay. Well, so this is the, okay, let's, let's go down a little further because this is obviously, this is for me where it goes into that creepy pasta total bullshit territory, right? Where it's like a magic thing happened. 
Uh, let's see. Early on, Lauer posed an idea of the two brothers capturing a squirrel, putting said squirrel in a jar, and slowly drowning it before filling the jar with sand and dropping it to the bottom of a pond. Soon after this was suggested, Sandy from SpongeBob SquarePants appeared in Tea at the Tree Dome. Lauer also suggested in one scene of the movie for a man with a squid-like nose to take off his pants in front of the two boys and rape them off camera, but heavily implied. Squidward soon appeared as a major character in SpongeBob SquarePants. It was suggested the two be stepbrothers forced to live in the same house after the first mom was found dead in a shallow grave, her, head, her body heavily cannibalized by her own husband, a local weatherman. A show with the vaguely same premise, Drake and Josh, started in 2004, and the stepfather is indeed a weatherman. Now, hold on a second. Drake and Josh. I know nothing about this show. I'm suspicious, though that the plot is not about uh, one having been, one's mom having been killed. Um, it doesn't mention that at all. Let's see. Drake and Josh, mother murdered. Uh, Josh's mom died during a surgery. Real life. Yeah, I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, guys. Having a having two brothers who live together, and one of them has a dad who's a weatherman. Um, a man who captures the souls of children in a vacuum cleaner and sends them to Hades. That showed up in Danny Phantom. A robot, a robot who goes insane on the two brothers, kills one of them, wears his skin, pretending to be the dead brother at high school. My brother uh, as or my life as a teenage robot. <laughs> I mean, this doesn't sound, this sounds, you know, I know. What was this guy's name? Peter Lauer? Lauer. Peter Lauer. Let's see. Peter Lauer. American music video director? Scrubs, Reno 911. Oh, no, Brooklyn 99. Eh, same thing, right? It's the same thing. I mean, he's done a bunch of uh, TV shows, if this is the same guy, which probably is. But, I mean, he's still been working, and he's done, like, The Mindy Project. <laughs> and, uh... Kitchen Confidential. Malcolm in the Middle. Arrested Development. Gilmore Girls. Dead Like Me. Chappelle Show. Yeah, sounds pretty successful. I'm not, I'm not so sure about this whole... Oh, yep. There he is, director of Crybaby Lane. Um, yeah, this creepypasta. You know what? Whoever invented this creepypasta, if you had gone, well, first of all, putting in SpongeBob doesn't help. But secondly, let this be a lesson. The idea of a version of this movie that has never aired, that exists, that's really horrifying, is great. That's chef's kiss, good idea. Because it did, in fact, disappear for a time, so that makes it pretty interesting, right? But you kind of blew it with the whole, like, overhead projector comes to life thing. You know what I mean? That, that, that part just doesn't really work. So uh, there's some advice for anyone doing that. So anyway, Crybaby Lane, full-length movie, Nickelodeon movie, definitely felt to me like an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark or something. Um... And, you know, it, it's my hope that this has been, like, something somebody concocted in order to give it, like, a second life. Because that, that's more interesting to me than the actual movie itself. But, you know, 
Such is life, I guess. Or death? <laughs>